This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Very seldom today, if ever, is a preacher killed because of what he says in a sermon. No doubt there may be many of us who deserve something in this direction due to the poor quality of our messages, but I have not heard lately of one person being actually killed because of what he preached. However, I'm going to take a chance this morning and direct your attention to a part of a sermon which did cause a preacher's death. Now, the part I want to share with you is not the part that enraged the congregation to the point of taking that preacher's life, but I want to tell you about the other part of that sermon. Now, if you'd like to have a copy of that whole sermon, I can get it for you, or perhaps you already have it. It's found in the Bible in the book of Acts, chapter 7, and that preacher to whom I'm referring is a man named Stephen whom we call the first Christian martyr. If you have your Bible and can take it now or maybe even later, turn to that passage. It's from chapter 7 of the book of Acts, verses 36 through 41. Now, when you read that, you can get a picture in your mind. Here, Stephen is recounting the events that took place as Moses had led the people out of bondage in Egypt. He had led them in a magnificent way, out of the hand of Pharaoh, across the Red Sea, through the wilderness. And now, when Moses had gone up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from the Lord, he stayed gone too long, and the people grew restless. Where is Moses, they said, but no one seemed to know. And so they turned to Aaron. They said to him, Aaron, make for us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so, sadly, Aaron did what they requested. He called for their golden earrings and cast them into the fire. And when Moses finally came down from the mountain and found that they had made a golden calf to worship, he was quite angry. When asked the reason for this idolatrous golden golden calf, Aaron replied, I just threw in the gold and out came this calf. That's Exodus 32, verse 24. One Bible paraphrase of this incident has the conversation between Moses and Aaron go like this. What in the world did the people do to you, Moses demanded, to make you bring such a terrible sin upon them? Oh, don't get so upset, Aaron replied. You know these people, what a wicked bunch they are. Well, I told them, bring me your gold earrings. So they brought them to me, and I threw them into the fire. And, well, this calf came out. Exodus 32. You can read it about that. Now, we may laugh at Aaron for thinking that Moses would believe such a silly flimsy excuse as that. But it is not far from the kind of thinking to those who say, the devil made me do it, or, well, we're living in a new day now and anything goes. 
I guess one excuse is about as good as any when we're guilty of manufacturing our own gods. It's been quite a long struggle to get from polytheism to monotheism, many gods to one God. We do not have any assurance that that struggle is over yet either. Not when we look at ourselves and discover that we too are guilty of creating our own gods as we please. Some time ago, you may have heard about the man who was a Protestant, but he attended the Jewish synagogue, then he became a Roman Catholic. He also studied Buddhism and other world religions. The person reasoned he wanted very much to go to heaven, so he wanted to be on the inside of all the religions just in case the one he had chosen happened to be wrong. Well, there are those today who are not content with only one God. They want many gods. Because with a multiplicity of gods, one can always be found to do one's own bidding. Make for us gods to go before us, the Israelites requested. But there are problems with gods made to order. For one thing, gods made to order can be controlled. They are not in control, they are controlled. In the wilderness wanderings, the Israelites carried with them something they called the Ark of the Covenant. This was not Noah's Ark now, it was a different one. It was a wooden chest about four and a half feet long, two feet wide and two feet deep. This Ark of the Covenant was supported on two long poles carried by four men. The people of Israel associated this Ark with God himself. It represented God's holy presence. Wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, there God was, they reasoned. If they went into battle with this Ark leading the way, they could not lose, they thought. If they were traveling and the Ark of the Covenant was at the head of the line, they could not go in the wrong direction, they assumed. Now today we look back on these primitive people with a smile of pity wondering how they could actually believe such a ludicrous idea as that. We remember that they did have to wander around in the desert for 40 years, even though they had their God in a box going before them. But this is the way it is with gods that are created by men. They can be controlled. They can be made to do our bidding. When the Israelites and their rebellion against Moses told Aaron to make them gods to go before them, they had already decided they wanted to return to Egypt. They had no need of a god to show them the way. That decision was already made. All they wanted was a god to rubber stamp their plans, one who could go before them and be in the ceremonial place of leadership. But the pathetic thing about this whole situation was that the people were not going in the right direction. You remember in the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 25, says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. When you're going in the wrong direction, you'll have no trouble at all in finding somebody who will tell you you're doing the right thing. There may even be those who speak for God, they say, but whose advice is completely opposite to God's revealed will and His Word, the Bible. 
the people of Israel thought they were saying, we want gods to march in front of us. But what they really were saying was, we want gods made to order, gods that will take our dictation. Aaron didn't, have, didn't seem to have much trouble making this golden calf, this God for the people. According to his account, he didn't have to hammer it, shape it, form it, rework it, spend hours in making all the features just right. He just threw the gold into the fire and out came this calf, he said. God's made to order are not at all hard to find. There are some people who claim to believe in God, but who in reality believe far more in themselves. Somebody has called this the Jehovah complex and has left a trail of devastation wherever it has appeared. Oh, how many people confuse themselves with God. I remember years ago when the movie version of the Ten Commandments was being filmed, there were many tryouts for the voice of God. Well, there should have been no lack of volunteers for that role. Many people have tried hard to be the voice of God in their place, their group, their time. Those who conducted the Inquisition tried to be the voice of God. Constantine tried to force everyone to accept Christianity. He tried to be the voice of God. Some of you may remember when Castro first came to power in Cuba, he instructed all the teachers of little children to put their heads down on their desks and to pray to God for ice cream. When they raised their heads, nothing had happened, of course. Then they were told to put their heads down again. And this time they were to pray to Castro for ice cream. And during this second prayer time, teachers quickly distributed ice cream in a little cup to each child. Castro tried to be the voice of God, but he was found out later to be the tyrant that he really was. The Bible tells us that man was made in the image of God. It does not say the physical image, but this rather means that we are created with personal characteristics like God has. We can feel, think, reason, and evaluate. In our day, we have created our own God in some ways by recreating God himself. We've often so personified God and have brought him down to our level that what has resulted has been a distortion of the true nature of God. For example, in our bringing God down to our own level, we have caused him to lose some of his holiness as far as our thinking is concerned. Now, certainly God is accessible, but he is also holy. God is eminent, but he is also transcendent. He's near, but he's also far away. We've tried to make God be just like us, even in his looks. I know maybe some of you people were quite shocked many years ago when they first saw on TV, the play Green Pastures. That was a fantasy of life in heaven with an all-black cast. Some people back in those days were highly incensed when God appeared on the screen portrayed by a black man. Well, God is not a black man. God is not a white man either. 
nor is he yellow, red, or brown. God is as colorless as he is colorblind. I sometimes wonder if when we think that God has to be white or that he has to be just like us, if we're not just as guilty of making God over in our image as were those wandering Israelites who thought they had God in a box. There has been in recent years what has been called the prosperity gospel. Health and wealth, that's what you'll have if you become a Christian. And the professors of this kind of gospel claim that no true Christian should be sick or poor. But if they find themselves in such circumstances, they'll have a quick recovery. The prosperity gospel always lays blame on the sick individual who's thus accused of a hidden sin or maybe a lack of faith of not being saved. This attitude exemplifies word of faith proponents, doctrine of positive confession. Believers, they say, can literally speak things into existence or make their own realities through words. And with words, they can manipulate faith. It's such a sad time when we think that we can make God in our own image. That, that movement dresses its doctrine in Christian apparel, but it does not find its roots in true Christianity. Martin Marty, writing in The New Shape of American Religion some time ago, said, one mark of the God of religion in general is that he's one of us, an American jolly good fellow. Popular songs, which may be beamed at the masses instead of rising from them, but do reflect the temper of the times, reveal this. I remember there used to be a cult of what's called the man upstairs, which says that God is just a friend and neighbor who dwells in the apartment just above us. Fellowship with the Lord is an extra emotional jag that keeps every citizen happy. And sometimes God is identified as someone in the great somewhere or simply as he. Martin Marty refers, uh, refutes this casual concept of God by saying, the Christian revelation pictures God as sovereign, majestic, and holy. And to suggest that God is sort of a folksy dodderer sitting in a rocking chair upstairs is the height of blasphemy. Someone somewhere may live upstairs or he may be what one movie actress called some time ago a living doll. But this is certainly not the Lord of hosts, the God of Jacob, the refuge of men, the one who is holy, holy, holy. Yes, we have to remember that God has come to earth in his son, Jesus Christ. But there must also be that aspect of honor, respect, and reverence for the one whom we call Jesus our Savior. And that to him we bring forth a royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. No, we cannot capture God, nor can we replace him. A professor at a certain university said several years ago, as soon as we create life in a test tube, we won't need God anymore. Well, I have no fears about this. 
we still have not created life in a test tube. All we've been able to do is to bring together those two elements, elementary forms of life that God has created. And whether that union occurs in a test tube or somewhere else does not erase the fact that God is the author of all life. I recall reading about another time when mankind tried to rule God out. That was many, many years ago. They proposed to build a great tower to deify themselves and make a declaration of independence from God. That effort ended in frustration, confusion, and judgment. We call that the Tower of Babel. Man was made in the image of God, but mankind has lost his way. I think a clear example of the human predicament today is revealed by a bumper sticker I saw some time ago on the rear bumper of a car. It read, don't follow me, I'm lost. <laughs> well, with God's made to order, we, that's our problem. We end up nowhere. But with our one true God as our guide, we cannot lose. Our God is a jealous God, and the Bible says so. That doesn't mean jealousy in a sinful sense, as we sometimes think of it. It means that God wants us to love Him and no other lesser gods that we might try to create. God does not accept some things that people throw up to Him about a watered-down, universal love of everybody, when at the same time these people are tolerant of any and every heresy that comes along in the name of freedom. You know, there's some things that we ought to be dogmatic about. When I go to my pharmacist to have a prescription filled, I want my pharmacist to be dogmatic about the quality and the quantity of each ingredient. I do not want a doctor who would say to me, well, your trouble could be this or it might be that. I tell you what, we'll try these pills, and if they don't kill you, then we'll try something else. There's a very, something very strange sounding to me when somebody says, oh, I'm not a member of any church. I just love all religions. I don't think our Lord has a place for such casual disciples. Sounds a lot like God's made to order. Some of you know my background. I'm a Baptist, unashamedly so, sometimes. <laughs> but God is not a Baptist nor is he a Methodist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or Episcopalian, Lutheran, Catholic, or any other denomination. God is God, and he cannot be confined to a box. God has revealed himself through the one way, and that is Jesus Christ, his Son. The salvation which God offers to us through his Son, Jesus Christ, is a free gift that none of us deserve. Living a good life, Trying to obey the Ten Commandments, doing the best you can, will never bring anybody into a right relationship with God. One day, two people were talking about how to get to heaven. The first said, I cannot understand why a person who has tried to lead a good moral life wouldn't stand a better chance to get to heaven than would a wicked person. The other person replied, well, Suppose you and I wanted to go to a place of amusement where the price of a ticket was $10. If you had $1 and I had nothing, then which one of us could get in? 
The obvious answer was neither one of us could. Right, said the second. The good moral person stands no better chance than the lowly sinner. But now suppose some kind person came along and saw that neither you nor I could buy a ticket, either one of us. Let's say that this wonderful person gave us both a ticket that he had bought. Then who could get in? Well, both of us, of course, was the answer. Then the first person explained, that's the way it was with us and with Jesus. Jesus came, saw our spiritual dilemma, our poverty, and saw that we couldn't ever hope to attain heaven on our own. And so he obtained eternal redemption for us by giving us a free ticket. Now it did cost Jesus something. It cost his life, which he willingly gave for us. And this is the heart of the good news of the gospel. God is the one who has revealed himself through Jesus, our only hope. This is not a God we create, but this is the one God who created us and the one who saves us through his son, Jesus. Oh, how careful we must be. If we are a great moral person or we feel like we are, if we have that one dollar, we have to be careful we not allow pride in that fact to cause us to refuse the free ticket that Jesus has come to give us, a free ticket of grace, his mercy that gets us into heaven. We sang earlier in our service this morning, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Oh Lord, thank you so much for giving us the gift of salvation through your son Jesus. Forgive us for making gods out of what is not right. And forgive us for placing anything before you, the one true God. Help us, Lord, to live with gratitude, not to earn our way to heaven, but to thank you for the gift of Jesus' precious blood that allows us to be with you in heaven. We offer our prayer of thanks in his wonderful name. Amen.